I know I've said this before, but it's always been a, a point of humor to me that we get the children out of here right before the pastor speaks, right? Get the women and kids. You don't find that as funny as I do. It was always a little blow to my self-image to do that. There was some more humor last week, thanks to Doug Lewis, who brought this to my attention because I couldn't see it. He reminded me that last week's monitor was flashing, and it may or may not be still but that I I had made the point that it's possible, and think with me on this, that our our best symbol for Christianity, for those of us who are saved, might not be the cross, and I heard you all gasp, and about that time, the screen started flickering. (laughs) I went on to say that uh, uh, maybe uh, another way we could think about our faith was the empty tomb, and I hope you all enjoyed that last week. I hope it encouraged you. You see, if we walk around and think this way, now catch me here here clearly, hear what I'm saying. If we walk around thinking that the cross is our primary symbol, and, and I understand, folks, it is a symbol of redemption, ransom, reconciliation. It is the ultimate price that was paid. Several of our New Testament writers say yes, but now let's go on to maturity. Let's leave the milk of the gospel behind and move on to maturity. And for most of us this morning, we have met Jesus. And if you haven't, I'd consider you, I'd ask you to consider doing that. If we continue to view the cross as our primary symbol, we cannot hardly help but think in this manner. Try not to sin. Try not to sin. Try not to sin. And we're going to get to church, and our pastor's going to ask us if we've sinned this week, and then we're going to need to repent. Try not to sin. And sin becomes our focus. Am I right? Don't think about red elephants right now. Never. Don't think about them. Try not to think about this podium right here. Don't think about this podium. Now, do not think about the sack. Sin, if it becomes our focus will become our focus. Don't think about this sack. And we can't help but think about the sack. And every Sunday, we get the sack rattled. Try not to sin. Try not to sin. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been set free from the law of sin. Did you hear me? You have been set free. Jesus paid that price. The law is not abolished even better. It's fulfilled. Go live your life free to love God. And that's a whole new way of thinking. This way of thinking is try not to sin. Oh gosh, I did it. I'm a bad person. This way of thinking is Jesus paid it all. I'm free. There, I did it again, Father. Thank you for the cross, but I'm moving on. Can we catch that? Can we take the chains off of ourselves? because Jesus has given us the key? And we've said, we've turned the key. We said we've set the handcuffs free, but we don't leave the jail. Galatians chapter 5 very clearly says, we are 
free. Death is dead. We're here for the abundant life. But most of us so often have turned what should be the good news of the gospel into another burden and another handcuff. We've turned what should be the abundant life into a bunch of rule-keeping shame on us people, and I'm as guilty as anybody else until I was about 32. They would put me in front of high school and junior high and even college groups all around the West Coast, and I was required to speak to them. And basically, I told them to be better law keepers. Shame on me. Father, forgive me. I set no one free. I tightened up the bonds of sin is all I did. Are we clear on that? <laughs> Laughter should fill our homes more. Joy should be a part of how we live because the tomb is empty. The work is done. Jesus has fulfilled his life and gone to set at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He didn't even stay on the cross. He came out of the tomb. And if you want to follow Jesus, we think of pick up your cross and follow, and, and follow me. I understand. Take up your cross daily. I get that. That's not the end of the story. That's an example and an analogy and an illustration to help us understand that we have to suffer in this life. But if we want to follow Jesus, follow him to the cross, we die to ourselves, we get the empty tomb, and we get on with our work. Check, check, check. Unless you like your pastors to make you feel guilty all the time. And then I can go back to be 20, 27 years old and I can speak out of my own shame and put that on y'all. I don't want to do that this morning. I want to speak out of my freedom and I want to try to give that to y'all. Romans chapter 12, I want to review a, a little bit. And you've all been so kind to me um, uh, with regard to your feedback on this. James is up next week and I'll be back in, in a couple weeks after that. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, and this is a bit of a test to see how we're doing. Romans 12, chapter 1. Let me put it this way. If you have your Bibles, we could probably do a better job bringing our Bibles. And that's so we can... I, I want that so that you can feel comfortable moving around in this. And we, we like to put it up there, but we're not prepared to put it up there this morning, although there it is. <laughs> She's better than I think sometimes. Way to go, Crystal. In view of God's mercies. In view of God's mercies. This is by way of review. And I'm going to review my last three Sundays. In view of God's mercies, I'll repeat, in view of God's mercies. Can we take the text down for a second? That was Susie and my view this morning at daylight. There's my Martin house right there. There's our pond that's nice and full. Thank you, Lord. Whatever we see is what we live into. If you see yourself as sick, you will be sick. If you see yourself as unlovely, unlovable, 
If you see yourself as beautiful, you will see the world in all of its beauty. This is what I saw this morning. That reminded me of a whole lot of things. I took that picture for us. What we see is what we live in view of God's mercies. Do we have God's mercies in our mind? And Paul has been telling us for 11 chapters here about how God has had mercy on all of the Jewish law keepers. And he's told them, you can't do it in Romans. You can't keep all those laws. It's impossible. Stop trying, you arrogant people. And he turns the corner here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and says, all right, everybody take a deep breath. You get that part now. We're going to turn the corners. Keep in mind God's mercies. Keep this in view. Because everything after this is going to follow. God's mercy frames this whole section of our text. <laughs> I've got an illustration here, and I've debated whether to use it or not, but I'm going to, because some of you usually mention something about my illustrations afterwards. And I know you talk about them at lunch. So everyone do this about a foot away from your face, please. And no, I'm not going to, men, I'm not going to ask you to do, stand up and do hand motions to a song. Okay? And then do this. All right? Pretty simple. All right. This and this. I want you to think of that. In view of God's mercies, we have a mirror in front of us. Yours a little farther away, Michael. Otherwise, the window doesn't work. I need to look in the mirror and clearly see myself in view of God's mercies. Now do this. And once I clearly see myself and I look out the window, I'm going to see something completely different than I would have saw had I seen had I never looked at my face. You can put your hands down. If I get up in the morning and my first thought is, how come those guys didn't do that yesterday? My first thought is, that guy in the White House. My first thought is, boy, what are those people doing with their cattle? My first thought is, I wish that fence would get fixed. Try to make your first thought, if you can, a hard look at the truth of ourselves in the mirror. And that helps me look at Carol with mercy and grace, right? Because however I see this, oh, God, wow, there's some ugly there, isn't there? He goes, yep, pretty much. But Jesus died for that. Okay, I'm going to hit the day. Just remember, God's mercies for you, Mark. I'll try, God. Then we hit the day. Even the world knows this. In the book Good to Great, the authors were examining a hundred of the best companies in the world, and they wanted to find out what systems they used that made themselves the best companies in the world. And one of the things they kept coming back to was leadership. And they couldn't avoid it. 
And so finally they said, I guess we've got to jump into leadership. They wanted to believe it was just the systems, but I guess we'll have to jump into leadership. They began examining the executive directors, the presidents, the CEOs, whoever, the top management of these top companies, and they learned a lot. And they eventually called this a level five leader. A level five leader even does this in our top Fortune 5 countries. He knows this, and you see it in great basketball coaches. When things go wrong, they look in the mirror. When things go right, they look out the window. When things go wrong, the coach says, I shouldn't have called that play. The coach says, apparently didn't prepare him well enough. When things go right, he says, wow, Oklahoma had a hard game last night and they won it, didn't they? Those boys really got out there and fought. Had they lost, he would have said, we didn't watch enough film. I didn't prepare them. Leaders, look in the mirror when things go bad. Look out the window when things go, go right. Am I right on that? Poor leaders, young leaders, immature leaders, when things go right, they look in the mirror and say, I did that, nice job. And when things go wrong, they look out the window. And they look for blame, and they look for who did it. Good leaders look in the mirror first, then the window. We're going to come to that. In view of God's mercies, we know how to worship now. Not by rule keeping, not by in our churches having rule makers and rule breakers, the good guys and the bad guys, the the in people and the out people, those who dress the way, those who don't dress the way, those who are spiritual and those who aren't. Uh, That's not what worship is about. Worship is about, as we talked about, and again by way of review, coming to life as a living sacrifice. As opposed to, here's my sacrifice, give it to Frank at the altar, good to see you Frank, yeah I'll catch you at Rotary last, okay, thank you, my lamb, it'll work, good, All right. see you next week. Instead of that, we go to the altar one day and it's not Frank, it's God saying, hey, climb up here with me. We'll just live life here. You and me, we'll do life right here. But I'm not perfect, he said, I say. I look in the mirror and I'm ugly. And my life is ugly, if you will. And he says, I know that, get up here anyway. I took care of that. Does that move you at all? It moves me. (laughs) Worship is about being a living sacrifice. And what Clay and that good team do every Sunday is they lead us to worship. Whether you worship or not, I don't know. Whether you're a living sacrifice or not, I don't know. But I hope that when you leave this building, you continue to worship, not because you sing, but because you're a living sacrifice like me. And we keep God's mercies in mind. Number two, God's will is covered in this section in verse chapter two. God's will is not about finding the right job, the right spouse, the right college. Uh, It's not about whether we work at Burger King or McDonald's. 
God's will is having a radically transformed mind that doesn't think the way the world thinks. The world thinks about success, about ego, about my, my worth is uh, about my money. Uh, my worth is about I've suffered more than they've suffered. My, my worth is about I'm, I'm better somehow than them. My worth comes from the fact that I'm a rebel. My worth comes from the fact that I'm against everything. If you say red, I'll say blue, just because that's where my worth comes through. My worth comes from being a good boy. Stop thinking that way. And move our thinking to the kingdom of God thinking. And this is where we get transformed. And this is where we're after a living sacrifice. We jump up on the altar. And here, when we're not on the altar, we're thinking, what protects me? What makes me look better? That's the world's thinking. Once we're up on the altar and we're chatting with Jesus 24-7, he says, I know you'd like to strangle that guy, Mark, but let's remember your mercy. Yeah, I remember my mercy. I want that same mercy for him. You do? Well, he doesn't deserve it. No, neither did you. What are you going to do, Mark? I don't know. It's a battle. I know. Fought that same battle. Yeah, but you were sinless. Well, it was a little bit of an advantage, Mark. What are you going to do, Mark? Well, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try to uh, love. But what if he says that same thing he always says? I don't know. Keep trying to love, Mark. All right. That's a living sacrifice. That's prayer. That's worship. Can you catch it? This is living the world system which says, I got to climb that ladder. This is living the kingdom of God's system which says something completely different. The bottom rung on this ladder is training. The next line is beat out the rest. The next line is competency. The next line is get some power. The bottom line on this is he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. The humble will be exalted. The, the, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Compassion and mercy triumph over judgment, chapter, book of James. It's a whole different set of justice, a whole different set of being. This system says majority rules. This system says, yeah, you guys go ahead and do majority rules. I'm going to go out and look for that lost one. The kingdom of God has a different economy, social, psychological, emotional, financial economy set of values than this one does. We want to worship, stay there. We want to know God's will. It's a way of being transformed. This one has a whole bunch of rules attached, and here's three steps to financial freedom. Here's three steps to peace with God. Here's how you pray rightly. This one says, go be free. Don't be afraid to mess up. I'm here. We're talking about it. It's a good life, isn't it? But how do I get financially free? Well, there's some principles you can look at, Mark. But how do I pray? We're praying right now, aren't we, Mark? Well, I'm just having a conversation with you in your mind. That's it. Folks, are you with me?
This is all, by the way, a review. Wait till I get to the good stuff. God's will is about having a radically transformed mind where we think in a way different than the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And lastly, in this little section, has to do with sober judgment. Now, I want to read something to you, and, and you'll think, so, like so often you do with me, I'm sure. But I want to make a point. You ready? Here's some notes I wrote down this morning. Sure is cold here. Earthworms can be helpful. Roses can be red. Checkers is a fun game. Your eyes are like diamonds. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Kind of random thoughts, isn't it? But it ended with think of yourself with sober judgment. This is not that. This is a logical progression of thought. First of all, remember God's mercies. Remember who you are. Remember who you came for. Remember how you can be now. Worship is just living with me on the altar, Mark. God's will is about learning to think that way. One more thing before we move on. I want you to tell yourself the truth about yourself. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself rather with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given to you. This is the mirror window, mirror window, mirror window. When we think of ourselves with sober judgment, in this progression of thought, Paul's basically saying, now you've come out of the rulemaking, Romans 1 through 11. Now you've come out of the rulemaking. I think you've got it, Romans. I'm going to move on. But I need to kind of walk you through this new way of thinking that I'm going to tell you about. So let, let me ease you into it here. And we want you, one of the, the next thing you need to do is view yourself with sober judgment. Maybe a way to think about it is when Susie's on stage, there is a spotlight on her. And that light blinds her. We really can't see much of, of the crowd past sometimes a third row, if that. And if her makeup's not right, if her hair's not right, and my wife is courageous enough, you can't get her right every time, every night. And she goes out anyway and stands in front of that spotlight just who she is, how many of us could even think of doing that with 500 people making judgments on what she wore, why she wore those boots, or I don't think that goes with that. And she does it anyway. All of us who are walking in the light, you with me? We need to have this spotlight on us and look in this mirror with that very bright light on us that tells us the raw truth about ourselves. But look further than my nose and my lips and that blemish. Look around the edges of that mirror, and what we see is a shadow. Am I correct? Part of viewing ourselves with sober judgment, ladies and gentlemen,
And I know who we are in Christ. I know, I know that list. I had that poster a while back. But I also know what else is true. That spotlight shines a big shadow. And wherever I move, that shadow goes with me. If I don't understand the shadows, I'll never be able to appreciate grace. I'll never be able to appreciate God's mercies. All I'll see is my great looking face in the mirror. Oops, don't look beside that mirror. There's shadows back there. All the other people in the room know about our shadows, <laughs> except us. Part of viewing ourselves biblically, according to Paul in his letter to the Romans here, is viewing ourselves with sober judgment, telling ourselves the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we are, we are neither a pile of trash, as some would tell us, and we are neither a room full of diamonds. We're both. We're both. The closer we get to becoming our real self, the more like we're going to look like a room full of diamonds, but that will only happen when we get to heaven. Now, let's move on. But this is a progression of thought. Are you seeing this? And this is all leading up to two weeks from now when I'm going to introduce another topic. Well, reintroduce it because I'm going to introduce it right now a little bit. All leading up to the next thing. It's not a random, it's not, this isn't the book of Proverbs here. This is a letter that makes logical sense. A fellow who was trained in classical education, his parents were Greek. He knew about Socrates and Plato. He's extremely well educated. And so he writes linearly, if, then, if, then, so, what, now, go. He writes logically so that the people in the sophisticated city of Rome, this wasn't a Jewish outpost somewhere. This was the city of Rome, the most powerful empire that maybe has ever been, certainly was at the time of this writing. He writes basically one of the finest theological dissertations that's ever been written, and we've been all been trying to understand it ever since then. So next thing he says is, verse 4, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We each have different gifts according to the grace God has given to us. So, if we can keep God's mercies in mind, if we can keep living as a living sacrifice and working on, working on having a transformed mind, if we can view ourselves honestly, the next thing we know is, okay, Mark, honestly, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? What are you good at? What do you do? What's your talents? What do you bring to the table? And the theme of the next four verses is simply this, in my understanding. Mutual respect, personal stewardship. Mutual respect, personal stewardship. My gift is different than Susie's. Her gift is going to look different than mine. Scripture is going to call us in the next four or five verses 
is going to call me to honor her gifts. Because basically she's not me. And Paul wants me very clearly to understand that she's not you. She's not a mini-me. She's not supposed to conform to you. She's supposed to conform to me. And she has gifts that are different than yours. The theme is mutual respect, personal stewardship. Sometimes when you go out to the pasture, you have to flank a calf, right? Sometimes when you go out to the pasture, you have to flank a calf. Because you have to tag it. Or ear tag, otherwise how's anybody going to know it's yours? And you need both hands to do it. Because my mouth isn't a very good hand. But we've got some mamas in our field. And when I go out to tag these things, Susie comes along and her job <laughs> is to keep the mama off of me. Because I can't handle this and keep this in there and keep that on there. Keep, watch the mama, get the calf down, and get the ear tagged without, with it being backwards or not. I've got some folks that are way out here in the tip of the ear. The old ear flops down and just the calf is you know, pushing the ear tag aside because I'm an idiot. <laughs> so Susie has to get out. Keep the mom off me, right? I still don't have a way to do this because I'm going to grab the calf by the tail and we're going to hop along a little bit until I can get up to it. And when I get up to it, I'm going to flank it. And then, knee, you're on knee, okay? Get on the calf. Don't, not too hard because it's a little guy. But, and then, get the ear. And then, I can grab this. Are you with me? I'm not sure y'all are. <laughs> Knees do a certain job. Legs do a certain job. Hands grab a tail. Arms, shoulders, and back flank. My mouth can't even hold this. And I'm trying to say, Susie, get a cow. Susie, watch the mom. Take a picture. Take a picture. <laughs> my friends in, friends in Seattle are going to like this. My hand, my mouth isn't a good hand. But my hands are busy, and my mouth has got to step in and do something that's not really good at for a little while because my hands are busy. And these things, I don't know who they make them for, big Norwegian Vikings or something. <laughs> I can barely get my one hand around it. My hand's strong enough, but I can't not with it, so i got to give it a two-hand thing and then pop the thing off, and we get, get the job done. Silly example, folks, but what we're going to talk about, some of your hands, some of your feet, some of us are voices, some of us are more brains, some of us are knees. My feet don't have thumbs. And if they did, I couldn't catch a, th a calf with my foot holding that thing. I can't do what you do very well. I can bumble through it, maybe, but it's not my gift. And maybe you don't do some of the things that I do because it's not your gift. What this is going to tell us here coming up is that respect each other's gifts and do your gifts well. And folks, we're going to pick that up here shortly in a couple weeks. And uh, 
I think it's going to, did you hear that beep? Yeah. I'm so sorry you heard that. I spoke for 31 minutes and 10 seconds. <laughs> so that just gets me off of here on time. Folks, in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to continue on in Romans when I get back. And Clay, I think I've committed to another six or eight Sundays, something like that. We'll continue on in, in the book of Romans. And I'll try to give you good Bible teaching. I'll try to give you good illustrations that you can apply to your life. What I say, I'll do my best to illustrate Scripture in the way that I think the original authors wanted us to understand it. You do your best to hear through your own grid, through your own life, and then you do your best to go apply that out to other folks. Father, uh, thank you for the word. Thank you for Paul, who so many years ago wrote to uh, the Romans. And uh, thank you for all the love uh, that we get from you and the mercy that comes from you so richly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, we'll see you in a couple weeks. And we'll get some music playing here and hang out as long as you want.